The scripture passage for the sermon today is on the next page of your bulletin. I'll be reading from Genesis 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the word of God. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor at Christ Central Church. Um, welcome. Um, it's always something, ain't it? That last week we didn't have heat. This week we barely got heat. But no bathrooms this time. Um, so I really mean it when I say I'm glad you're here this morning. I'm glad you're still here uh, this morning. And uh, we've been talking about, ironically, good news um, this past month. And um, we're going to end this short series today and next week. Um, as Pastor Giorgio explained, we'll have uh, Pastor Randy Neighbors of New City Fellowship at Chattanooga uh, preaching for our fifth uh, church anniversary. Um, I talked to Randy last week, Pastor Neighbors, sorry, um, and uh, I told him he's like our daddy in some way. Um, New City Fellowship uh, was the first church that sought to... Uh, have a church of racial reconciliation, a multi-ethnic situation um, in a not-so-Presbyterian attractive part of town. Okay, I said it. Um, and so um, at that time, um, and so uh, they started in 1975. I'm sure he has something to teach us, uh, just maybe. And uh, so I, I look forward to his coming um, next week. And then the week after that, we'll begin our sermon series, and we'll be going through the book of Daniel. If you want to go ahead and read it, I warn you, after I think, what is it, chapter 9 uh, or something like that, it gets kind of weird. But go ahead and enjoy it. Um, and, uh, um, oh yeah, next week, fifth anniversary, we're going to have that dinner thing, party, um, Friday, Saturday night, the 31st. Let me emphasize, you can come. I know we said $25 recommended per person, whatever, 
you can come, even if you only have $2. If you have zero, you can come. If you've been at Christ Central, come and, you know, if you're here today, if you want to come, you can come, okay? So just let us know. Um, we don't want you not to be there. If I hear, ooh, if I hear, well, we didn't have the money, I'm not going to be happy. I'm like, so what? Who cares if you ain't happy? You ain't nobody daddy. Anyway, but... But I won't be, okay? Um... Anyway, let's let's get to what we're up here to do. Um, you know, as we talk about good news, we've learned that good news, God is in control. That good news, there is real hope. And finally, last week, um, good news, God hears us pray. And with all those things in mind, I can't help but wrap this sermon series up by telling you that all of those things are true and good only because God himself is good. God is good. And we've done this, and I know when I said it, y'all tempted. We've done this at this church, and they do it uh, in traditionally African-American context. You know, God is good all the time. And all the time? Yeah, and that starts to get on my nerves after a while. Oh, yeah. And you get all of this, you know, how you doing? Blessed and highly favored. You know, I'm all right. God is good. What's wrong with your leg? Uh, I just fell off this morning. God is good. I mean, just and you know, and to be honest, that stuff gets sickening and played out because it has and can just become another mantra, something Christians are supposed to say. Another thing we say that we really deep down don't believe some of us and thus don't live as if it were true. It becomes just a saying, a bumper sticker. You know, what does it mean when I look at us and we see and and I see that we keep struggling for worth on our own, that we keep believing we have to do good enough and and do all the right stuff, self-rightly that is, to get God to bless us and be good to us and make us prosperous. What does that really mean when we keep fighting each other for dominance and we keep cursing that good God with our sinful behavior and we stay away from heart-level commitment to that good God and the life of His good people? Why do we live like we don't trust Him with our broken and sinful lives so, so we hold on to oppressive and, and sinful lifestyles? We live like the good God can't be true. And yet our mouths keep saying it and in that, we expect that we, as well as others, will somehow believe it. Christians end up coming off, can end up coming off, like a bunch of positive confessing fools. God is good all the time. Well, let me tell you this morning that it is true. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And there's a positive side to actually saying it. Yes, it's important that we remind ourselves of that. But what does that mean? And and how do we live in its truthfulness? This is what we need to see. God is good in and of himself, that God shows his goodness in his creation, and that the good God overcomes our bad. God is good in and of himself. And when I say good here, like I explored in our sermon on God is in control, I'm not just talking about morally good as we can perceive and humanly measure it. 
I'm talking about good as in secure. I'm fine. You know, I got it. I'm good. I don't need any help. I am good. I'm, I'm not hurt. I'm good. I don't have an in or deficiency, right? I am good. It is safe to say then that God is good. In verse 1 that we have here in your bulletin, we have a plural form of God here. And it fits in for the multi-God culture. Um, The writer here, led by the Holy Spirit, writes Elohim. It's plural and it means that he is God of gods, that he is the supreme God, that he is the goodest, that he is the God-est, and in that he is above, before, beyond all things. And and this verse is like an echo effect, right? You know, if you want to make something stick, it is God, God, God. You know, you can hear um, James Earl Jones or something's voice here. In the beginning, God, God, God. I can't even get my voice that deep. I don't have that Barry White thing going on. I mean, in other words, in the hallowed chambers of heaven and earth, when his name is spoken, it echoes with such supremacy that there is no room to put in anyone else's name before or after. It is is an eternal echo. At graduations... Or other honoring events. You ever hear the person say, could you please hold your applause until the end? And you know why? Because you know, got the popular kid or the kid who has the 50 people there. So and so graduated. Yeah! And while everybody's clapping, someone else's name is said and you don't hear it. And they're like, hold your applause until the end. But as far as God is concerned here, because there cannot be any mention of any other names beside or in context with his. The applause and mention of him does not stop. It doesn't yield. It doesn't pause. It doesn't hold up. It doesn't wait or give away for any other name to be mentioned. He is the only one and the only name in the university and college of universal authority. It, get this. When his name is called... Like at graduation, he is so good and so God above anyone or anything else that when his name is called, we get a degree of his goodness just by the mention of his name and presentation of his goodness. It means that God is holy. That as far as power and morality and purity and honesty and integrity and all the things we attribute to a great leader, God is above and beyond and before that or them or it or anything we can attribute to them. Almost two million people were at the inauguration of Barack Obama. It was some kind of honor there. Some kind of excitement and hope and praise for this new leader. But let me let you know that, that, that what happened on inauguration day can't even begin. And I mean that. I don't speak in hyperbole here. It doesn't even begin to show the honor to the goodness of God like he should be honored. Why? Because the inauguration day had an opening and closing ceremony. See, get this. 
God being eternal is so good, there cannot and was not a beginning to his honor. His honor, which is indivisible from his being, always was happening and always is happening and always will be happening. God is so good, he has and will and is always having a ball in his honor and goodness as God. Because God is holy. He is untouchable. He is sacred and separate and set apart. There is none like him and there will be none others like him in his omniness, in his omnisufficiency and competence and presence and significance and holiness. And this should sound a little otherworldly. When we think about all this stuff, that's a lot of stuff you said, Pastor Brown, before, behind, all in, out, through, he's holy, before. I mean, but it should sound otherworldly. It should sound crazy. It should be hard to fit all those prepositions in your mind. Had a hard enough time fitting them in my mouth. It should. It should echo with with a certain degree of, of uh, you can't comprehend what it means to be good and always existing in that state. It's hard for human beings to get it. He, he, his, he, he exists in a presence and place outside of our world and our worldly thinking. He is that good. When we worship or reflect or talk about this real living God, it is truly when we look at him in his word and, 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 and hear about him, it truly is a close encounter of the third kind, y'all. I really believe in alien presence. Cause it is right to see God as the world's true alien as far as from our perspective. God is an ET, okay? And, and I mean, think about it. One God and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each person, uh, all God and power, substance, and dignity. God is the original version of what you Trekkies know as the collective. He is a Borg. He has a Borg-like unity, with one exception: he's not composed of stolen matter. He's not a synthesized whole. He is original and perfect, never to be duplicated or equaled by anything or anyone else. He is an alien goodness and unity manifested, completely happening within himself, at home and right and good and fine in relationship and fellowship with his solitary solidarity of goodness. I didn't have enough pages, y'all. You start talking about that stuff, you get lost a little bit. But you're supposed to. He's God. Which means God is and has never been desperate for relationships. He's not needy. He's not looking to see how many people signed up on his Facebook He's not measuring himself by his MySpace page, how many hits he got. It is we who were created by this good God who are required and responsible to worship him and be in relationship with him. Let me say this. If you don't worship the God of the Bible, you are doing not good. You're doing bad. And I hate to use such a simple, sometimes childish word, but that's right. 
It's how we can measure our sense of godliness or goodness. Not how we have decided in and of ourselves what to or not to do. What kinds of things we do for the rich or for the poor. Or how clear our consciences are. Or how in tune we are to the world. Or how well we do friendships or care. Or save the world and the earth. Or freedom fight for freedom's sake. Or become humanitarian for humanity's sake. All that is nice. But it is not good if it isn't in response and by requirement to the one who is good. That's like telling, you know, the power company, right? That, guess what? I pay my water bill on time. If you don't pay them on time, regardless of what you did for the water company, you are a bad company. You're a bad customer to the power company. Guess what? God is that good power of our lives. And heck, he's the water company too. But you can't do good and call yourself good if the one who is good isn't the reference point of all that you do. God is good. By himself. In himself. And with himself. I mean, he is the only being who being selfish in being good is fine in being so. God is selfishly good. And so we should get ourselves, regardless of what or why, what we do, focused on Him. God, God, God is good. And if His person is good, then guess what? In and of Himself, God's actions are good. Let me say God, the God of the Bible, can do no wrong, period said this before if he is good then automatically anything he does or says or decides or decrees or determines or destines or designates however he seeks to divvy it up in his exclusive and divine thought is good automatically he doesn't have to pass go doesn't have to collect a hundred dollars to be good. He's automatically there. If he does it, that's it. It and he is good. Understand that with him in this first verse of the Bible, standing alone as the subject before the predicated presence of the creation, there is no insecurity in his personhood and the actions of that personhood. He doesn't need to regulate or check in, or make sure, or look in the rearview mirror. He doesn't need divine GPS. He was and is and never will be lost or confused or wondering or questioning or any way soliciting of anything or anyone outside of himself. God's got it covered. He can do what he wants because he is God. And all he does is good. That's why if we were to read all of chapter one, and I didn't put that in there, we'll see that after each days, each of the days, the created content of each day, God looks on all he makes and made and declares what? It is good. It is good. Get this. He is the Simon, Randy, Paula, and what's the new girl named Kara of his own artistry? <laughs> he is the judge of all he does. And if he does it again, it is good. Plants, 
good. Light, good. Oceans and fish, good. Land and ground, good. Roaring, waddling, flying creatures, good. Understand this is not like Planet Earth movies on National Geographic. I love those things. Where they show you the fish in the sea and they go real deep or some forest you don't never seen this bug before. That's great. But, you know, we are called to wonder at nature for nature's sake in that stuff. No, when each of these things is declared by God, it declares and praises God as good. And now, guess what? We follow suit. We say it grace, what? Not, this food is good, this drink is great, let us thank it for filling us. Oh, we don't say that. We look at that food and smell it. Sometimes you smell it way before it's ready to go on that plate. There's hard times right there. And we take it in as a communicable trait that we attribute and connect to God's created goodness. And we connect it with the good creator. Thus we say what? When the place before us, God is good. God is great. Let us thank him for our food. And it tells us something else. He did not create bad. He cannot. And will never be the author of sin or the author of stain or badness, if you will, in anything. In fact, God is so good that he causes his goodness to be reflected in his creation. And I'm not going to go into this too deep, but if it was created by God, it bears the unforgeable signature of the Lord. And I don't care how messed up, you know, think about it. If you didn't know what a Picasso was, you might not think that thing was right. Sometimes I look at Picasso, I'm like, Or, you ever seen Monet? Not Monet. Ain't no Philip Mignon going on in here. That thing kind of fuzzy. I know your artist's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he did that. Give me that messed up picture if you don't want it. Give me that fuzzy picture if you don't want it. I'll take some Monet and some Picasso in a second. Because it bears the signature. If it's authentic and it bears the signature of Picasso and Monet, you have a good piece of art regardless if it looks like a horse mixed with a woman or something else. Or the eye too big and a nose too long. So you, you look at all these animals and you look at all these plants and you look at all these food, this food and so they're all good and I've told you this guys this before, narcotic derivative plants are good. The vine that makes the wine that got the guy on the corner messed up is good. It ain't good he messed up on the corner with the mad dog. Ain't much good vine and mad dog. But anyway, because God made it good. And here is the other good thing. He made us human beings in in his image and likeness, meaning He has created us able to share and experience it and use it as good as he made it. Look with me at verse 29 and 30. It's after he created human beings. 
Then God said, I give you, human beings, every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be your food. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. What is God saying? I give you all of this goodness. I've made it good to be enjoyed as good. Eat it, see it, pick it, pet it, ride it, smoke it, drink it, plant it, work on it, harvest it, mine it. Do it good and experience its goodness. Thank the good God that things are at our disposal and we have been made to experience them as good. You ever... One thing that was really disappointed about that Matrix movie was when you got behind the real Matrix, you got that nasty food. I hate that. The reality of things, the reality of things is things really do taste good. Bacon tastes good. My taste buds know that. I'm sorry if you don't eat meat. Bacon tastes good. I'm sorry if you don't eat pork. They don't eat that swine, brother. No, bacon tastes good. Sugar tastes good. Fat tastes good, okay? So what do we do with all that that stuff that doesn't feel or look good to us, or when it does not turn out so good? What happens when we get burned by it, or run out of time, or can't get enough of it, or get addicted to it, or get bitten, or get fat, or sick, or killed by all that good stuff. What happens when animals attack, right? Or if it all comes hitting our fan, if you will, it doesn't work, or it doesn't listen to us, or we get sold for it, or sold out to it. That ain't good. So can we still say, live, and believe with heartfelt truth that he is good when good stuff goes bad and does bad to us, whether in circumstance or substance? Now let's affirm what we've already learned, right? Before anything happened, God was good. So that is unchanged by our perceptions and experiences of things in this life. Do we really experience bad? Yes, we do. But that experience does not paint or attribute a problem with God the Creator. I hear people all the time, especially believers, I'm mad at God today. He ain't doing right. He's good. What's God doing? He's doing good. How are you doing? We never ask that question. You know, what, what is he doing up there? God's bad. Look, everything going wrong. The good God has done and does and will do nothing but good all the time. Every time. What's going on? I'm not a horse person. I don't like horses. I didn't want a pony growing up. Horses scare me. You want to feed the horse? Mm -mm. Just hold your hand flat and it won't bite your fingers. Shoot, you see Mr. Ed T? He might taste that meat and like it. But I know enough to know this. You never stand at the back end of a horse. Right? Why? Why? couple of reasons. (laughs) 
you could get kicked. Or you could... Okay, y'all get it. It's hard to experience and see God's goodness when we stand and look and live at the wrong end. Your experiences and circumstances always... Some of us, our experiences and circumstances always and only look bad or not as good. Some of us just, by living in a broken world, we just kind of end up, no pun intended, on the wrong end of things. The goodness of God has escaped us. And we have escaped and run from it. We feel there's no need to trust in a God who seems to leave us leave us on one end and he lives on the other end. We may be standing and looking in the wrong place. When Adam and Eve, and we now along with them, repeat, and we didn't have this in here in chapter 3, in seeking to find something better than God and all His goodness, look to find something that would preempt God's goodness to them. They and we have turned and turned our relationship with God around. Now we are trapped and tend to go from the back end of things. We seek good through ourselves. We seek good through this world and hope of somehow getting and attaining God-like goodness. And we end up getting kicked or something else. God is so good. He made what we have turned around good and works bad for us back to a redemptive good that he originally intended for us. At the end of chapter 1, we see God finished, the Bible says this, that when God finishes creating, the Bible says this, that he saw all that he had made, and that what? Not only it was good, it was very good, the scripture says. And what's that mean on the sixth day? When man was created, everything was in its right place. Everything was good. God was good. Creation was good. Humans were good. It was time to celebrate and mark that goodness. In the next chapter, it says this. Chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And rest means to celebrate, to enjoy all that has been gotten by the Father. See, the Bible teaches in Jewish believers when they read this, they were connected it to the Sabbath, you know, the Sabbath day, the holy day. And what did it mean to them when they saw, said that God rested? They saw it as party time now. It's the weekend, baby, right? It's vacation time. It's a snow day, right? Some of y'all had snow day. Some of y'all at the private school didn't. Right, Hyatt? God stopped his labor because his labor was good. And he stopped to celebrate that goodness. And in doing so, he calls us to have this holiday. And remember what holiday means in his holy day. To have this holiday with him. Let me say this is a simple but profound truth that is so good that most of us will dismiss, dismiss it or when we hear it or we will explain it away. 
Let me explain it this way. Okay. When I was in my third year at seminary, I got an internship out in California, a church planting internship. And, you know, part of my job was working with the youth ministry. So one weekend, one of the parents, one of the rich parents, they had some money out there, boy. We don't know nothing about that down here in Charlotte. Anyway, maybe. But it's at California. Anyway, one of those parents left us alone for, on the weekend to take care of his teenage kid. They left us cash strapped. So one evening we had some Tony Roma's ribs delivered to the house. They didn't deliver. But if you pay enough, they do. More than that, we could eat and, you know, we ordered more than we could eat in one sitting. And then I caught myself. You know how you have one of those snapshot moments that you'll never forget? After the kids were asleep, there I was in a house with a fridge filled with food and another dedicated a fridge by itself, dedicated to some of the finest beverages I had known in my young life. And there I was, lounging in a bubbling grotto, carved out of the side of a beautiful hillside in Northern California, steam going up from the water and from the nice cigar in my mouth. And I thought to myself, ah, ministry is sweet. And I want you to stop your mind from examining and analyzing the moral and laurels of that situation. And understand that what the moment says to us here this morning, God's ministry to us, his good ministry to us in a fallen and bad world is sweet. It's good. And he is calling us in to rest. And that word in Hebrew actually means to rest means to repose. To relax, to reposition yourself, to receive, to lay back, to be fed, to bask and lounge and taste and eat and drink and all of what we didn't buy and couldn't earn and didn't have the right to rest in. And with audacity of one who believes God is good and thus good to them to just enjoy so that we live in a fallen world can truly believe and experience what is true. God is Good. Hard to believe, ain't it? That God is calling us to repose ourselves through and in the Sabbath day to enter the Sabbath rest. It is about living in the company and care and attention of friends and family called the church that he has gotten for us to live in the story as if it were ours for real of a rich and powerful God and king as one who is in the family to have your rough times and sinfulness washed in the warmth of his forgiveness and sing and celebrate and eat and drink it all in for your fullness. Yes, you and me, the undeserving. Yes, you at the wrong side of the horse, if you will. Yes, you sinner and cynical person and you hurt and disillusion. God is calling us to repose, to reposition our lives and hearts so that you and I with the creation all involved can come and lay in the grotto of God's goodness to you. 
to let your praise and prayers go up to heaven like the smell and smoke of a good cigar. To lay in the way and live in the place of His goodness. And let me tell you, there was only one way we got that weekend gig. We knew His Son. His son's name just happened to be Adam. I didn't put that in there, y'all. It was his son that we could experience the goodness that we did. You and I can stand or better yet repose in the right place. In the place where we can face and experience God's goodness as his children. Where we can have perspective in our doubt and suffering. Where our minds are fed rightly and powerfully. Only as we stand in and with the Son, Jesus Christ. You see, the Sabbath, because of our real earthy humanness, is a day of the week. Today is the Sabbath. We do honor it as holy. It is right now to, to worship in church. To bask and reflect on and taste of the goodness of God together. But the Sabbath rests. Because of Jesus is even deeper than just Sunday worship. It also means that regardless of what day it is, or what age it is, or what kind of season we are going through, we are always in a sanctuary, in the place we are always positioned in Christ where we can access and be accessible to the filled refrigerator goodness of God. Through his word through the good company, through the fellowship of the body, and the good presence of the Holy Spirit. In Christ, every day is the Sabbath. In Christ, every day is a celebration, an opportunity of God's goodness on our behalf. In Christ, we who know Him as Lord and Savior stand in a place, not as the one who walks behind the horse, a servant, but a son, one who always benefits from the goodness of the Lord's work. And in that, we can say and live and pray and hope because God is good in Christ all the time and all the time because of Jesus God is good he's calling us to reposition our hearts and our lives in the truth of that let us pray. Heavenly Father, it's near impossible for us to...